this is uh, you all right? I gotta wear this. I think it would be the same with or without it. To be honest with you, there we go. We're good. All right. So uh, what I started to say was uh, Nate is not feeling well this morning. And so he took off, and uh, so that led to the daughter and the 17 children also taking off. So they all are at home. You know, one thing that I have uh, do a lot of is uh, watch cartoons with my grandkids. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't understand most of what they want to watch. Why is it they want to watch these things? How is it they choose these particular things, and then they want to watch them 1,700 times? The same one over and over again. But this one, um, I really like. It's called Octonauts. Now, I don't know if you guys have enjoyed Octonauts, but my daughter got really frustrated with me, thought maybe I'd left my mind, lost my mind, because I was watching Octonauts with my three-year-old, and I said, Honey, every time I watch Octonauts, it's like a devotional. <laughs> she really was unsure of my sanity at that point, but let me tell you why. Octonauts every week, or every episode, it's 15 minutes, they highlight a different creature in the ocean. Now, I know that the little kids, you know, there's Captain Barnacle, who I don't understand. He's a polar bear, but he's only this big, so I, I, that seems strange. But anyway, Captain Barnacle's the star, and, and, and anyway, he isolates one sort of sea creature, and then at the end, they tell you all about that sea creature. And man, I'm telling you, it, it is amazing the amount of weird, strange species there are in the water. So I'll just give you a couple of numbers just to tell you. There's the black dragonfish. This is one they did the other day. A black dragonfish is 6,600 feet down in the ocean. It has a light to hunt with that is only uh, seen uh, by them, and it's infrared to the human eye. It's barely visible to us. There's, the females are 16 inches and the males are 2 inches. I don't think that's fair. And uh, the teeth are terribly scary, these little creatures. Now, they are, if that was the only creature in the ocean, I mean, that'd be pretty remarkable. But it isn't the only creature in the ocean. As a matter of fact, they know of at least 228,000 known species, but they think there's another 2 million that are undiscovered. So when I see this, I say, God is, man, I mean, he's majestic. How, who created all those little things? And I think he must be able to understand my life. He must be able to get me. Let me give you the ocean as you think about this. 71% of the earth is ocean. 95% of the ocean floor is a total mystery to the human scientist. I don't know. 80% of the ocean is undiscovered. I've already told you these fantastic things we know about the ocean, but 80% of it is totally undiscovered. And so for me, when I can see these things, I think it's like a worship service to see the ocean. It's to walk on the beach to see what in the world is going on. Here's the scriptures. Psalm 89, 9. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 93, 4. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Do you see now what I'm saying? When I see his power, the intricate detail, the, uh, the majestic nature 
of God's creation, I am comforted because I figure if God can control, if his majesty, if he created the ocean, he rules the ocean, he controls it, maybe I don't have to worry that he can take care of me. And really when I look at my problems, my problems are not as vast as it is to make an ocean. Right? My problems are not as uncontrollable as this. Now, let me tell you the problem with this kind of thinking. When I tell you about the vastness of creation, and I convince you even that there is a God that has created all this, that he controls all of it, and that he cares about you. Problem we have is there's a bit of a disconnect. Uh, I'll give you my example here. The Navy SEALs. I think the Navy SEALs are really cool. I could watch stuff about them. I have a friend who's retired Navy SEAL. I love having him tell me all about it. I, I find it fascinating. Matter of fact, they are uh, one of the toughest fighting force ever created in, 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 in military history. The only thing is I could watch stuff on them. I could see how powerful they am, they are and all that. But the truth is there's a rule that they can't operate on U.S. soil. So... Even though they're great, they can't help me. In the same way, God can be great, but he can't help me. He can take care of an ocean, but is he going to take care of my marriage, my money, my community, my relationships? Now, let's imagine, though, that if I could get the president to say that the Navy SEALs would take care of my grandkids... They could calmly, I had three daughters, calmly, I could let them go on dates. Calmly, I've got the Navy SEALs, they're out with my daughter. i got nothing to worry about here. They're going to be just fine. They're going to be just fine. If, if I think about putting the Navy SEALs around them while they're hanging out with their friends, they're not going to fall, they're not going to do it, because i got the Navy SEALs with them. It's when I can connect the power to my personal life is when everything changes. I would have no fear about my children if the seals were with them all the time. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 14, very familiar passage. You're going to see this all through the scriptures. There's so many scriptures about the ocean or the sea or the water and God's ability to calm them. It's all through. You know so many of the stories. Think about them in the, in the Old Testament. You have Jonah uh, getting thrown into the water, uh, and the storm is so bad he gets thrown off the boat into the water, and the water calms you see the Red Sea, this sea that is majestic, massive uh, in depth and power. And God cuts right through the middle, stops the sea, puts it on both sides, again showing his power over water. Jesus comes here, and in order to emphasize his deity, we read a couple of stories at least about this. In Matthew 14, 22 to 27, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost, and cried out in fear. And Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Jesus stilled the waters, he stilled their fears, he stilled their calm. The majestic entered into their problem. 
Okay, Mark 4, 35 to 41. That day when the evening came, he said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was and in the boat, and, uh, in the boat, and there, were other, uh, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, that's a storm, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, asleep. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They were terrified and asked each other, Excuse me, I'm sorry. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? These guys needed to watch Octonauts. They needed to see it. He was in full control. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, I think that probably our problem is not <clears throat> that we uh, believe he is sovereign, that he created the oceans, that he, most of us, that's not where our trouble begins. Where our trouble is, is that we believe the ocean is vast and unknown, that God can control it, that he created it, that he has it all in his hands. But in our storm, we don't feel like he's going to come out. We can't wake him when he's in the boat to come and help us. So I'm just going to give you two basic, simple things to remember this morning. One, I want you to see the sovereign in the storm. I want you to see the sovereign in the storm. In Peter's case, in the disciples' case, when Jesus came out walking in the storm, uh, he had trouble seeing him, and, and he looked like a ghost. And so he said, they were afraid, naturally. And then he says, it is I, don't be afraid. So let's see the sovereign in our storm. Let's have that moment where Jesus can say to you in the midst of your storm, it's I, don't be afraid. I want you to suggest to you that there is great value in storms. I want you to see the sovereign way that God controls them and the value that can be in storms. Here's what I mean. We fight against storms in our life all the time. All through our life, we want to eradicate the problems. But the truth is there's great value in storms. Would we really want a life that has no unknowns? Would we really want to live in a world that is totally under our complete control? Or is it possible that some of the best things that have happened to us have been the bumps and bruises we've gotten along the way? A friend of mine I was thinking about, he was, uh, had a mortgage company, and he was really growing unbelievable. Offices all over the country and everything. And then 2008 came. And 2008 came, and he hung on too long, and he lost everything. But it was during that time that he met Christ. And so he says now that looking back, 2008 was a blessing. See, the sovereign was at work in his storm. He just couldn't see it then. I'm suggesting that the sovereign, the one who created all of this, is at work in our lives. And so I'm going to give you some basic things. See the value in the storm. See the value in the storm. Can there be value in cancer? How could you say there's value? Oh, there's all kinds of value in cancer. One, the fact that all of us know that it's possible that we could get this uh, deadly disease makes us live differently. The fact that we uh, know that there are uh, tough times ahead for those who get cancer. And we also know that each day becomes much more precious if we realize cancer is at work in our body. 
Suddenly, our lives can take an entire different turn. Am I saying they are good things? They are all good things? No, not at all. I'm just saying stop fighting the storms. Stop fighting them all the time. Stop fighting, trying to eradicate, trying to stop everything, um, worrying about the storm getting worse. We have all these storms in our life that we live with all the time. Some bother me, others bother you. I was a policeman for 26 years in Washington, D.C. I uh, worked narcotics, and I was around lots of criminals. I would do some of this undercover work. I would go in, and we would buy machine guns from criminals. And I remember going in and buying this machine gun from a guy we knew was a suspect in a, in a, in a shooting. And as I'm dealing with him, I'm telling you, I felt totally calm. But if I went home, and I had a... Uh, um, bat flying around my house, I'd be totally petrified, totally petrified, scared to death. I'd run out of the house. It happened to me years ago. Many of you have told the story. I'd moved into this house uh, that we're living in now, and uh, it was an old house, and they were renovating it, and so we'd got everything kind of settled enough that we could move in, and we moved in, and while I'm sitting in my chair watching TV, um, I see something out of the out of the corner of my eye and I look up and there's this animal and, and I mean the wingspan was about the size of this room it had fangs that were, and it was coming for me and I swear it was calling my name I swear it was but it was coming for me and so what I did was I screamed and then I went and got a newspaper and I stood at the steps for a minute now Patty and the kids were all upstairs uh, the bat was coming back for me when it came back I swung at it uh, a bunch of times, missed every time, and then I took off out the door. I was sitting in my car alone when I remembered that I have a wife and a couple of children up in there that the bat is likely to eat. So I, <clears throat> uh, this is typical of the way we look at our storms, isn't it? It was stupid. What was I thinking? We know logically that that, storm, that that bat was not going to eat my children or eat me. But yet I made my worry about the storm, my worry about what this bat could do, made it way worse than it was. But I don't know what your, your bat is flying around your life or what it is. But here's Jesus three times in Matthew 6. He says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. And what it could be translated is, don't be uneasy even. But yet you and I live uneasy. We live worrying. We live in fear of the storm or we live in light of the storm. May get this or that or this or that may happen. What will happen if this happens? What will happen if that happens? But if we're really able to see it through God's eyes and if he has perfect control of the storm, if he is the one who can say to water, be still, then I don't really need to have that same fear. Do not be uneasy. Storms only last so long, remember. Think of the worst storms in your life. They only last so long. Storms have a high point and a low point. And if you've experienced anxiety, you know this. In, the, in your worst fear, it gets to a point, but by God's grace, it doesn't stay there. It comes back down. Storms aren't dangerous if you're in a safe place. We live like we're in a boat all the time when we're safely on the shore. You see this? The Lord Jesus has set this thing up so that we can appropriate and take the power of God's word 
and change the way we face our storms. We take this like a filter and we think of Psalm 89.9 and we say you rule over the surging sea and when its waves mount up, you still them. That's like our problems. That's like our problems. The waves mount up. You know, when our anxiety, when our fear comes, it's like a tsunami, right? It builds little by little and often in our minds, we're picturing this tsunami about to hit us and then when it arrives, it comes in as a little wave. More of our time we spend picturing and worrying and thinking about the waves mounting up, us causing them to stir. I can cause the storms in my life. I can cause the, uh, internally, I can cause the storms I create can be worse than they are because of what I do to myself internally. Last night I was uh, working on this and I was sitting in my chair and uh, I had my Bible there and my animal, I have this mastiff dog, this uh, bull mastiff. And uh, I'm, I'm there trying to talk about, you know, being calm and the difficulties of life and I'm, oh, that's great and everything. And just then my dog comes over and uh, comes right by me and then uh, throws up right at my feet, uh, right there at my feet. And I thought, you know, I don't really want to clean up throw a dog, throw up uh, this time. So before I could, you know, scream at the dog, which wouldn't make a lot of sense, but I, you know, you have kind of these things in life, don't you? This stuff happens all the time. What are we going to do? Are we going to take those storms, those little difficulties, the little frustrations, are we going to take them and are we going to make them worse than they are? Or do we just get up, clean it up and go back to what we're doing? I'm afraid that I spend more time trying to keep the dog from getting sick than I do in just dealing with what happens. This is what we do. We build this up in our lives. We think that this uh, thing, uh, how people see us or this success we're going to have or whatever, is so critical that we hold on to it and we live in fear of it. What will happen if we fail? I'll give you an example. When I was a policeman, I was... Uh, I worked undercover a lot, and so I had this great idea. We had these buildings, these housing projects, where the doors slammed shut, and they were locked. And so what the drug dealers were really smart is they would sell drugs inside the store, uh, inside the doors, and the only people that would come in is when the drug dealer would open it. So the police couldn't get up there because every time they'd see the police come, and then the police... So I had this great idea. I told the team, um, hey, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk up to the door. I'm going to act like I'm buying drugs. And when he gets the door open... I'm going to put my foot in the door, and I had the guys waiting around the other side of the building. Then you're going to run up. We're going to grab this guy. Now, one of the things that we give ourselves pressure about is, is success. We, we like everybody to think highly of us. We like everybody to think we're good at what we do. This is very, very important to all human beings, whether you're a little boy talking about racing or you're uh, trying to get good grades or whatever you're at. You want everybody to think highly of you. So I have this great plan. So first of all, already, obviously, they're thinking this guy is tricky, smart fellow. So I go up and I uh, get the door and uh, he opens the door and I try to make the purchase from him, but he sees what I'm trying to do and I try to stick my foot in the door. When I do that, he's got coffee in his hand and he throws coffee and it hits the front of my shirt. My foot comes out, he slams the door, runs inside and everybody just then the police come running around the corner. And as they're standing there, all I am is just 
standing there dripping full of coffee with a locked front door. Bad guy runs out the back, jumps out the thing. When we finally get in, he left like drugs like a popcorn trail, but ran off the balcony. We never caught that guy. He's still running somewhere around Northwest Washington. This is, listen, this moment, I look like an idiot. The guys called me Captain Starbucks from then on. <laughs> Captain Coffee, you know, Sergeant. Co this did not help me get like some level of great respect. But let's be honest now. Does that mean that that storm or that difficulty or whatever that day, it didn't work out the way I'd planned? But do any of us believe that that didn't make my life better or that God didn't use it to break down relations with my friends or to be there? Wasn't there value in that difficulty? Of course there was. Of course there was. We know this. But at the moment, we worry so much about what could happen or doesn't happen that we miss the value of the storm. Okay, second thing we want to do. First thing we want to do is see the sovereign of the storm. Second thing we want to do is see the lies before they come. See the lies before they come. See, here it is. God has given us this calm. God has given us the story after story in the Bible to say, I can still your storm. But you and I see lies. We put lies into our mind or the enemy gives us lies or our flesh gives us lies. And, and these lies haunt us before the trouble even comes. Here's one. I can't handle cancer. I can't handle a pandemic. I can't handle my kids growing up in a difficult world. I can't handle it if my child is. I cannot handle it if this happens at work. I can't handle it if my money runs out. Well, let's think about these things where these lies we're telling ourselves. Is this really accurate information? I remember at the start of the pandemic, honestly, I'm a little bit of a, uh, I don't like to sit still a whole lot. And uh, I remember my daughter called me and saying, there's going to be this quarantine where people are going to be restricted and stay inside. I said, no, there's not going to be a quarantine, honey. There's not going to be a quarantine. No one in America is going to stay inside all the time voluntarily. I mean, what, what are we going to have? What do you... We ended up in a quarantine. I don't know if you were here for that, but the, the quarantine happened. So I thought, if you would ask me, independent, hey, Dale, can you stay in your house and live like this or whatever? I would have said, no way, no way. I would have said maybe something like this. I can't handle a pandemic. But guess what? I could. I survived. I lived inside. I got fatter. I, I enjoyed time with my family. I did all kinds. I did do it. I can't do it. No, that's not really accurate. In the same way when you say, I can't handle this bad event that might happen, the truth is you're lying. That's a lie. By God's grace, the one who controls the surging sea can help you to handle whatever comes along. The storm is not too great for us. So when we see a lie like, I can't do this, or I could never do this, I don't like heights, so I could say, I can't go on this high building, well, that would be an overstatement, wouldn't it? Of course I can. I can physically do that. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't enjoy it, but I don't need to say that I can't do it. Take the lie out that Satan is giving you and look at it in light of what Scripture says. Look at it in light of what the truth is, and you'll see that lie disappear. What you're doing is you're releasing the pressure, the power of the enemy by exposing it to God's Word. Daniel, in the Bible, was abducted at 15 to live in Babylon. He spent the rest of his life in Babylon. It certainly sounds like an unpleasant experience. However, we do not read in the scriptures that Daniel lived a life of total torment. 
we find out that he actually had an excellent spirit. How come Joseph is written in the Bible, that whole story, and all that Joseph went through, a jail and, 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 and mistreatment and terrible things, and yet we don't read in here that Joseph ends his, ends his story with suicide. What is God doing telling us these stories? What is God doing us, giving us these kind of pictures? He's trying to tell us that you and I can expose the lies of Satan, and we can, as long as we're walking with the sovereign of the universe, we can, by God's grace, face whatever comes. Another one that we do that often causes us trouble, one of the lies is that God is unhappy with me. We as believers, um, I said uh, this week to uh, um, a pastor that, that the best people I know on this earth are always upset that they're not better. They're always upset they're not better. There, there's, there's, there's moms that are mistreating their children. And then there's 98% of the moms that love their children, take care of their children, do what they're supposed to, and they always feel like they're not quite good enough at being a mom. They're mad about the one time that they're, they're totally devastated by the time they lost their temper with their child. Instead of enjoying all the moments that God has given them where they're doing things well. We have this idea, and the enemy's lie is that he is constantly, the Lord is constantly unhappy. You're not memorizing enough. You're not doing enough. You're not witnessing enough. You're not giving enough. And he builds this storm inside of us through these lies that are nothing to do with this book. When we actually look at the book, we find out that he says, he says, you're my child. He's uh, the shepherd, we're the sheep. He says that uh, we are um, his friend. Does that sound like one who's constantly unhappy with you? Would that be what he would say constantly? Be, he would say, don't be uneasy, don't worry. If in fact he was totally upset with his children all the time? No. Jesus Christ loves us and is in full control of the ocean, the sea, and your lives. Expose the lies of the enemy in front of God's word and watch the peace that can come. It's like the air being let out. It's like the stress just lowering down so that you can continue to walk with him and enjoy him. Here's the wonderful verse. If you could put this in your, in your mind this week, just this phrase, when its waves mount up, you still them. You know, I wonder... Uh, when they were crossing the Red Sea, imagine that great moment. You know, they're running up, they're afraid, the, the bad guys are right on their heels. And just then, just can you imagine the moment? The whole sea opens up on both sides. Um, and now a million people are running through. Here's my question. As they ran through, how many of them were scared to death? This was the greatest experience of their entire lives. They were going to see something we're still talking about thousands of years later. They had this moment that all the Jews would draw on even to today. And yet, I believe there were many who went across there looking at the ocean and looking at the sea, wondering when it was going to collapse. They missed the moment that God had given them. Brothers and sisters, I want you to live in light of the fact that there is always a sea on both sides. There's always the chance of a storm. But you and I in living in the sovereign hand, just like they could trust the sovereign God to know when to close the Red Sea, in the same way we can trust his sovereign hand to hold back the things that we can't handle in this life. 
Oh, he is good. And when you see the storm mount, the waves surge, remember, he's the one who stills them. All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray, oh God, that you would help us. Help us, Lord Jesus, because we are um, caught in real storms. We've got real problems, real things that are challenging to see. Lord, often we're making those storms worse by the way we think. I pray, Lord Jesus, we would appropriate the verses of Scripture and apply them to our hearts, apply them to our storms, apply them to our worries, apply them to our anxieties. And Lord Jesus, may we be delivered from human thinking and be freed by the scriptures, by the biblical thinking that you've given us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to know you more, to love you more, to trust you more. Now, just take a second between you and the Lord and, and just talk to him. Uh, some of you, maybe, maybe you don't really know him like this. Maybe he's more like um, a great creator or one that is majestic and powerful, but you just don't know him. And so take a moment and ask him. Uh, tell him you want to know him. Tell him that you want to understand his majesty. Others of you, you're coming in here today and your storm is that you feel so guilty all the time for all the sin and all the things you're doing wrong. You're walking with God. You love the, uh, the Bible. You love good things, Christian things. But yet you're feeling guilty all the time. Well, you need to hear what he says. That storm can dissipate when you realize he forgives sin. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions and remembers them no more. The thing you're remembering, the thing you're feeling terrible about, he doesn't even remember by his choice. Maybe you're in here and you're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about the unknown. Let this be a moment when you see that in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of the storm and the surging storm, we have a Savior who can calm it. Wherever you're at and whatever the Lord's doing in your heart right now, Take a moment between you and the Lord and, and apply these scriptures. Ask the Lord to help you apply these scriptures to your daily life. Jesus, thank you so much for all the comfort you give us in Scripture, the comfort you give us in life, the Red Seas you've already taken us through, the pressures we've already endured, and the confidence that we can face tomorrow in light of your promises. So thank you, Lord Jesus. May you be praised now as we uh, worship you in music and in communion. May you be lifted up and honored. In Jesus' name. Amen.